what is it that we believe about salvation? And particularly, what do we what do we believe about salvation and how does God work? And this morning, we, so we've talked already about we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this morning, we're going to be talking about Scripture alone. And uh, so I want to encourage you, grab a Bible, the one in front of you, uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Page 996 in the Bibles that we have provided. And we'll be reading to chapter 4, verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was of those men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and, and sufferings that happened to us, happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. How many people are uh, Bob Dylan fans? Anybody? Okay, there's some of you. Good. Back in 1979, before some of you were even born, um, he wrote a song called Gotta Love, Gotta Serve Somebody. John, can you sing it? Let's, let's hold off. Let's hold off. <laughs> Everybody is in submission to somebody, to some kind of authority, whether it be God, tradition, another person, or a religion itself. And even Bob Dylan recognized this in his song. Here's here's some of the lyrics in, in the chorus. You may be an ambassador to the 
king to, to England or France. You may, be, may like to gamble or you may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be the socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Someone or something makes the rules by which you are inclined to live. And for us as Christians, those who are in Christ, the rules by which we live our life are contained in Scripture and Scripture alone. Especially when it comes to salvation. We had better make sure that what we believe about how to be right with God is the, is the truth. To play fast and loose with our salvation, to play fast and loose with our soul is the epitome of foolishness. We need to know for certain how we can stand before a holy and an awesome God. But the question is, can we know for sure? Can we? In many ways, this sola, sola scriptura, scripture alone, is the foundational sola of all. The only way that we can have confidence that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is if the scriptures actually reveal this. If they do not, we have no hope for our otherwise helpless condition. We have no hope. Otherwise, if, however, if we are persuaded that scriptures alone are our sole and final authority for what we believe about God and the condition of mankind, then we can have complete confidence in all that they instruct us about salvation and how to live life. And when we embrace scriptures alone as our final and all-sufficient authority for what we believe and how we behave, then we can be sure that all the glory that flows from this conviction will all totally go to God alone. Even our passion as local churches should be that God alone gets all the glory in this world. That he is glorified, that he is made much of in all the world. And our scriptures should be the means that motivate and support that conviction. It's essential that we are committed to scriptures as our final authority. It should be pointed out, though, that scriptures are not our only authority, right? They're not our only authority. There are various other authorities under God that he has placed above us. Parents. Husbands, elders, human government, employers, etc. But our final authority is the Word of God, and it reveals to us God's will on various matters. So if human authority ever contravenes the will of God, His written, His written Word, then we must submit to His final Word on that matter. In fact, it's even a test. It is a test of our professed discipleship in Him. In John 8, 31, he said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. Further, even the Great Commission is about making disciples, right? And if, if, since it is about making disciples, we must, in our discipleship of others indoctrinate them in the conviction of Scripture being their final authorities. Yes, indoctrinate. Infusing doctrine that Scripture alone is your final, all-sufficient authority for life. So here's my desire. I want to help us in our confidence that we have all that we need pertaining to life and God godliness. We have all that we need. And I want you to be confident in that. I want to help us in our confidence as we proclaim that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and to God alone be the glory. I want us to have confidence as we proclaim that. And the result of that confident passion will be that God's glory will one day be seen in all the world. And that conviction 
is vital to our Christ-given mission. The Apostle Paul addresses this issue in the passage that we're going to study. Paul in this passage is essentially encouraging, exhorting, strongly imploring young Timothy to be a faithful minister of the gospel. A faithful minister to the gospel. And this would be measured primarily by how he is faithful to the word of God. Especially in times in which this conviction is often vilified or absolutely ignored. It is helpful for us to understand that if we start wrong here, if we start wrong here, we will go wrong everywhere. I want you to understand that. If we start wrong here, everywhere else it goes wrong. Ours is a religion of the book. And ministers must be men of the book. To the degree that ministers are men of the book, to such a degree we'll be members of the congregation. As Paul wrote, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required that stewards, that they be found faithful. That is, stewards must be faithful to their task of presenting the word of God, the mysteries of God to his people. But I'm going to tell you, there are many challenges in this regard. And this is speaking from my own experience. Often pastors are expected to do so many things. So many things that the ministry of, of the word is often squeezed in almost as an afterthought. There's counseling, there's meetings, there's leadership development, there's one-on-one -on -one times, there's phone calls, there's emails, there's web page development, there's all kinds of things. There's consistory meetings, there's elder meetings, there's elder development meetings, there's all kinds of things. And almost the word of God gets squeezed in and like, oh no, Sunday's are coming again. A sermon's got to be cranked out again. It's amazing how every, every week Sunday comes again. There's also pressures to compete and to compare ministries with the result that the Word of God might be compromised. We also live in an age of evangelical entertainment in which the serious exposition of God's Word finds little to no sympathy in the churches in our, our American culture. In our age of tolerance, there are no absolutes. We live in an age of skepticism, of cynicism, and rebellion against authority. In a day of pluralistic pressure, especially in, in the Western world, the church needs to be given again a certain confidence to proclaim the truth that God has given to us and has preserved all throughout the ages. G.K. Chesterton, in his book called Everyday Man, noted this about the early church. The early church. He wrote this. It was important while it was still insignificant. And certainly while it was still impotent. It was important solely because it was intolerable. And in that sense, it is true to say it was intolerable because it was intolerant. Some of you are going... Wow, that's a lot of jumbling going around here. But ultimately, it is important to note here about the early church that it was not socially intolerant, it was not cold-hearted, and it was not obnoxiously abrasive. But it was intolerant of any salvation but the cross, any God but theirs, and any Lord but Christ. And why was this so? Fundamentally, fundamentally, it was because of their unwavering commitment to Scripture alone. So what do we do? How do we respond in this pluralistic age in which we live? How do we do this? How do we live in this world in 2014 and beyond? The answer is simple. Ministers must preach the Word. 
and church members and Christians in general must expose themselves regularly to the preached word. Consider the pattern even of the the early church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6. When the apostles felt like they were potentially being sidetracked in their ministry of the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer, they were being sidetracked because there were some widows who needed to be given a lot of attention. They needed to be fed and they needed to make sure that there was a daily distribution of bread. And the apostles were finding themselves constantly waiting on tables, waiting on tables and waiting on tables that they could no longer devote the time that they needed to the ministry of the word and prayer. What did they do? They called upon the people and said, give us godly men who will serve. And what did the church do? They found seven godly men, and the apostles appointed them to do the work so that what? They could be dedicated to the ministry of word and prayer. And the result is, listen to this, Acts 6, verse 7. The result was that the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. When the apostles were dedicated to the word of God, church growth happened. They simply prioritized the scriptures. And they were persuaded by sola scriptura, scripture alone, and we need to do the same. And in doing so, we would do well to take instruction from 2 Timothy 3 to 2 Timothy 4. We're going to take our remaining time to note some important observations from this text. First thing to note here is that our situation is not unique. Our situation in 2014 is not a unique situation We need to get that through our heads. Man, nobody else has gone through this before. We're in a really unique situation. Listen to what Paul reminds Timothy of his situation. But understand this. That in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. For people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Anybody ever have problems with that? I didn't think so, yeah, liars, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Avoid such people. For among them come those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all, just as those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You might think that these verses were written about the same time in which we live, right? You look at this and go, okay, that's my neighbor. Oh, wait, that's me. Oh, that's my boss. That's my husband. That's my wife. That's my child. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, it's like it's written. But Paul wrote them to Timothy some 1,900 years ago. And clearly the challenges that we face as Christians today in 2014 have been in fact experienced by the church in its various seasons of church history. Paul begins, but know this. He's saying, Timothy, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Timothy ought not to have been surprised, and neither ought we. Times may change, but temptations and the condition of the human soul do not. 
So if you're ever in a conversation, just say, man, it just seems like it's getting worse. Man, just have you, have you been watching the news? Look at, look at this. Or have you seen their, heard about their situation? It's just getting really bad. It's like, no, don't be surprised. It's the same thing. My point is simply that this passage, though not written to us, is written for us. So how did Timothy and the early church overcome? The answer is simple. It's given by their adherence to Scripture alone as their final and their all-sufficient authority for what they believed and how they lived. Just consider the situation. If you want to summarize the description of the situation that was taking place there in those early verses, you could simply say there was absolute chaos. There was chaos in the culture. There was chaos in the family. There was even chaos in the church. It was a situation characterized by forsaking authority and desiring autonomous living. It's all about me. Listen to, again to 2 Timothy 3. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous. It, it just, it's just a, a terrible indictment. And clearly this dis- is descriptive for much of what we see in our God-rejecting culture. It's true. But... If the early church was able to overcome the onslaught of postmodernism, pluralism, narcissism, relativism, and a bunch of other isms, which we are familiar with, so can the church of our day. We also need to consider the the conclusion. We, We need to know that evil will not have the last word. Okay? Evil will not have the last word. As Paul says, evildoers will not get very far, for their folly will be made plain to all, as it was with those two men. It's a pointing back in history, saying, you see what happened to them? Same thing's going to happen in our church, and the same thing will be true for us. We need to know that there will be plenty of time throughout the history of church in which unbelief will be unmasked as the foolishness that it is. Autonomy will not have the last word rebellion will not have the last word and in fact it did not have the last word the existence of even our church today is evidence of that fact the word of god will prevail and his church will prevail note that the problem here was one of the rejection of god's authority this lays the groundwork for which Paul, for Paul's solution that we'll get to in a moment. But we also need to consider this example that is going on here. In light of this situation, Paul is exhorting. It's a, it's a biblical word, I know, but it's a good word. It, it means to implore, to strongly encourage. Paul is exhorting young Timothy not to be intimidated and do not be detoured. Timothy was to stay faithful. It had worked for Paul, and it will work for you. You, however, you have followed my teaching. Not just my teaching, my my conduct, my, my aim in life, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, people who live, desire to live in a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, there will always be a conflict between authority and autonomy. If you don't believe it, step outside these doors pretty soon. Raise children. There will always be a conflict between authority and autonomy. It will be painful, but we must persevere. It would appear that Paul is saying that there's two basic options, persecution or 
perversion. Two options. That is, you'll either get better and more glorious as you persevere and suffer through it, or you will get worse by continuing to resist the truth. The two paths are intimately connected with the issue of Scripture alone. We do not have to cave into this culture, but rather we persevere to the glory of God. But again, how do we do this? Well, here's the second major thing. Our solution is not unique. Paul encourages Timothy how he can persevere. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love how this, there's another sola written in here. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We must be convinced of and committed to scripture as our final authority. For what we believe and how we behave. We must be convinced of and committed to the sufficiency of Scripture for all that pertains to life and godliness. This is not the time for us to retreat and to surrender, but rather it is a time for recommitment. Two observations from this passage must be kept before us. First is the power of Scripture. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, why? Because it is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. It is the power of God. We must persevere in the conviction that Scripture is God's major means for salvation for His people. Our need is the same as Timothy's, and the means to meet that need of salvation is the same. You see, God the Father is the determinator. Some of you kind of want to use your Arnold Schwarzenegger voice, right? God the Father is the determinator of those who will be saved. Jesus is the mediator through whom we are saved. The Holy Spirit is the regenerator of those who will be saved. The one who makes you alive, regenerates you. And the Holy Scriptures are the communicator to those who will be saved. You see, salvation is the issue of life. Let me say that again. Salvation is the issue of life. There are many other issues in your life right now, and you could probably give me your top 10 and then top 20, top 40, right? But salvation is the primary issue of life. Scriptures have the final word on this. And apart from Scripture... There can be no salvation. And this highlights the importance of scriptures alone. It highlights the sufficiency of God's word as the means to accomplish his purpose. Think about Romans 10. The author, Paul, starts off with kind of this phrase that we all will do the head nod and go, yeah, no, I get that. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we all go, Amen. Amen. But then all of a sudden he goes into some questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? They've never even heard of him. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes through what? what? It comes through what? Hearing. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The scriptures are God-appointed means for the complete salvation of his people. 
It's not about your experience. It's not about a youth group. It's not about a program. The Word of God is what brings about the salvation. You hear it, and it's like, oh, the Holy Spirit regenerates my heart, and it brings me to a place of responding to this good news of Jesus Christ. It's through the Word of God. And even Psalm, 1, Psalm 19 reveals this to us, that Scripture restores and transforms our soul renews our mind it rejoices the heart because it gives us a certainty it reinvigorates and reorients our our perspective it relates relates to every every need in our culture and it is always relevant scripture is sufficient in sunday school and it is in seminary it is relevant in church, and it is relevant in your workplace. Why? Because it is the power of God. We also have to keep in front of us the sufficiency of Scripture. Paul teaches that we must be completely confident in the sufficiency of Scripture. And we must be confident in the totality of the sufficiency of Scripture. So not just the sufficiency that it's good for me, but in, it's totally sufficient for everything for you. Pastors used to be known as physicians of the soul. Physicians of the soul. Because they bring the healing power of God's word to bear on the brokenness of their people. That's my job is to be your physician for your soul. To bring the, the healing power of God's word to bear on your brokenness so that you may be reinvigorated and brought to life again. But ministers are only physicians to the degree that they properly minister God's word. Have you ever been scared to go into the doctor's office with just this hacking cough? And he goes, oh, I've been noticing you've got to a swollen big toe. Let me give you something for that. And you're going, do you not see this is the issue? Are you a fraud? And deal with this. Give me the correct medicine. And that's what we as pastors are to do, is to administer the word of God correctly so that your souls are made whole. On what basis can I argue for the total? totality of the sufficiency of scripture to deal with every human issue for the human psyche every issue well first we need to reflect on the source of scripture the source of scripture where is the source of scripture second timothy 3 16 and 17 tells us that all of scripture is breathed out by god breathed out by god Maybe you've heard the word inspiration or inspiration of Scripture. Inspiration literally means to be breathed out. To be breathed out. So Scripture then is breathed out by God. So when we handle these words, this is the very breath of God. The very breath of God. These words... These are the healing words of God. If we are certain about the one who gave us these scriptures, then we can be certain about all that it reveals. God made us. God knows us. Let me put it more personally. God made you. And God knows you. And he therefore knows what will cure you. He knows how to meet your, your greatest need of salvation. To be made whole. And preachers need to be careful. If we claim to believe that the Bible is God's inspired word, we must prove it. And prove it by proclaiming it and applying it. You see, the church is God's appointed hospital for the soul and soul-ish kind of problems. The church. But it's not good enough just to come to a gathering 
of believers. Because ultimately, the Bible literally is the remedy. We also have to reflect on the sufficiency of Scripture. The Scripture reveals to us that, all, that we have all that we need which pertains to life and godliness. Peter says that God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. Write down 2 Timothy 1 verse 3. 2 Timothy 1 verse 3. That's probably a great thing for you to memorize when you feel absolutely clueless and know, have no clue where to turn or where to go. Just remember, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he has done so in scripture. Our knowledge of God comes through his word. And Paul understood this. And so he wrote about the complete sufficiency of Scripture. All of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. According to Paul, Scripture is sufficient in at least four areas that he wrote about here. First, the Bible tells us what is right. Believe it or not, it does. It is profitable for teaching. Or other versions say it is profitable for doctrine or profitable for instruction. This needs to be stressed in our day. In a day in which the question is asked, what is truth? What is truth? We need to answer boldly. Truth is whatever God says about something. And there's a period at the end. Not an ellipsis or a comma. Or, let me explain a little bit more. No, truth is whatever God says about something. Period. And so we wonder about how to do church, how to evangelize, how to live, how to raise a family, how to handle money, etc., etc., as we wonder about these things, we must go to Scripture to find out what God says about these issues. There is nothing necessarily wrong about asking others. Hear me say that. But our final authority in all things, in all things, in all matters of faith and practice must be Scripture alone. If mom and dad win at the end of the day, something is wrong about your value system. If your children win an argument at the end of the day and they become the final authority or your checkbook becomes the final authority or your desires for this become, something is wrong. We must look to scriptures. We also need to understand that the church is the custodian of these scriptures, which Paul spoke of the church as the pillar and the buttress of truth. So it's a little difficult to be taught in the truth on your own. You need the body of Christ. You need his church, his bride, his family. Secondly, the Bible tells us what is not right. Scripture is profitable for reproof. We should note that this, this idea of reproof is confronting and, and dealing with an issue. We should note that this can easily get us into trouble. And I'll just put it out there. It, it will. Christian ministry, by nature, has two necessary but opposing sides. There are times when you need to be the loving and encouraging and just coddling and just oozing in love. But there's also the other necessary side by which we use strong words against someone's beliefs or their practices. When people in churches are doing things wrong, they need to be corrected. Paul wrote to Timothy elsewhere, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And until I come again, devote yourself to the public reaching, reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Some people need to be told no. No. They need to be told that they are wrong and that they have sinned. But that scares the living bejesus out of you, doesn't it? 
you would much rather be on this side. I'll love them into submission to God's word. It does not work. Let me tell you. There's a point that we need to say no. They need to be told about lies and falsehood. And only a biblical conviction regarding Scripture alone will give us the courage to declare what is not right. When he was instructed by the Roman Catholic Church to recant his opposition to Catholic doctrine, after taking some time to consider this matter, Martin Luther responded with this, Until I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against my conscience. May God help me. Amen. May we have that same conviction, a veracity for God's truth. But Scripture also tells us how to get right. It is profitable for correction. And this Greek word is one that talks about shepherding back onto the path. Shepherding back onto the path. Once we've been told where we, are, we have gone wrong, we need scriptures to show us how to straighten up again. As physicians of the soul, pastors need to apply the truth to their hearers. We must practice theology in the same way that doctors practice good medicine. And preaching needs to be applicational. We need to call people to repent and to change as God's word speaks to them. You should be expecting this of your shepherds, of your pastors, of your elders. We need to come alongside people and assist them to get right again. And this is sometimes, it sometimes calls for a confrontational kind of ministry. Those we minister to, much like ourselves, need to straighten up. That includes me. And the word of God is the sufficient means. Fourthly, Scripture shows us how to stay right. To stay right. It is profitable for training in righteousness. If you have seen any of the Olympics, those people did not just uh, come, out, come out of New Lenox and say, you know what, I think I want to do the luge. Or downhill skiing today. Maybe I can get on the team. I've never touched it. They have gone through hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. It became their life, right? Just they ate, drank, slept, did those things for their life. And so the scripture shows us how to get right and to stay right. It talks about training in righteousness. Once we have made it right, the Bible shows us how to persevere, how to mature, and how to grow. We need a steady diet of God's Word. Even the Reformers were known for saying that the church, having reformed, must always be reformed. In other words, we never reach the point where we are reformed with no further need of reformation in our lives. If you know anything about your sweet sins, they always come back, right? You are in constant need of reformation. Declension and deformation are terrible realities for the church. And the result of such a conviction concerning Scripture will be that a person, a believer, a pastor, a disciple, who is right, and hence one who is equipped to help others to get it and to be right. It's not just about me. I want to be clear. I am not your only source of getting right and being trained. Listen to Ephesians 4. And he gave apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry 
So God has given you me so that I can equip you to go. That's my job. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry, to equip you for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we, we may no longer be tossed to and fro like the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness of schemes. Rather, speaking the truth of love, we are to grow up in Him in every way, into, into the head, into Christ, whom, whom the whole body joined together, held together by every joint which, with which is equipped. When, every, with, excuse me, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All of Scripture is sufficient and final for all believers, and there are no exceptions. So we've seen our situation is not unique, our solution is not unique, and our strategy is not weak. The strategy that Paul gives Timothy in chapter 4 is quite simple. Preach the word. Preach the word. I charge you in the presence of Christ. That's a pretty strong charge. I charge you in front of the king of the world. Preach the word. Preach the word and be ready. Do the work. Because ultimately he says, listen, I have done it and I am, I'm coming to the end of my life. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And ultimately at the end, I am going to be rewarded. We are called, we all are called to preach the word as heralds. Those who announce that there is good news for the king, and in submission to the king. We do not preach experience. We do not preach self. We do not preach spiritual impressions. We do not preach traditions. We preach the word of God as God has given it to us. And we do so reverently, urgently, and repeatedly. The beautiful thing is that God grows his church through his word. Are we going to stand? Are we going to stand on Scripture alone? Are we, what are we saying to that next generation about Scripture and about our God? The church is called to be the means and the avenue of all of God's glory being seen in all the world. And we desire to see the whole world be made glad in God through the gospel of God. And that's the theme of the scriptures. And I'm going to end with a very short story about the power of scripture. In a recent Christianity Today interview, John Piper recounts. John Piper is a pastor in, in, uh, in Minnesota, Minneapolis. He recounts the painful events surrounding the excommunication of his 19-year-old son, Abraham. He excommunicated his son from his own church. Some of you are going, are you serious? Who would do that? A man who is standing firmly on God's word. He goes on to say, the night after that excommunication, this is John Piper calling, said, I called him at 10 and said, Abraham, you knew what was coming. And he said, that's what I expected you to do. That has integrity. I respect you for doing it. From then on, for the next four years, he was walking away from the Lord, trying to make a name for himself in disco bars as a guitarist and a singer, and just doing anything but destroying himself. We were praying like crazy that he wouldn't get someone pregnant or marry the wrong person or whatever. He came back to the Lord four years later. And the church had a beautiful, beautiful restoration service. He wept his eyes out in front of the church and was restored. This was church discipline at its best. The account in Abraham's written, uh, the following is Abraham's 
written account for Decision Magazine. He said, when I was 19, I decided I'd be honest and stop pretending I was a Christian. At first, I pretended that my reasoning was high-minded and philosophical, but really, I just wanted to drink gallons of cheap sangria and sleep around. For four years of this, and I was strung out, stupefied, and generally pretty low. My parents, John and Noel Piper, who are strong believers and who raise their kids as well as any parents I've ever seen, were brokenhearted and baffled. I'm sure they were wondering why the child they raised right was such a ridiculous screw-up now, but God was in control. One Tuesday morning before 8 o'clock, I went to the library to check my email. I had a message from a girl I'd met a few weeks before, and her email mentioned a verse in Romans. I went down to the Circle K, like the local gas station, and bought a 40-ounce can of Miller High Life for $1.29. Then I went back to where I was staying, rolled a few cigarettes, cracked open my drink, and started reading Romans. I wanted to read the, the verse from the email, but I couldn't remember, remember what it was, so I started at the beginning of the book. By the time I got to chapter 10, the beer was gone, the ashtray needed, to be, needed emptying, and I was a Christian. The best way I know to describe what happened to me that morning is that God made it possible for me to love Jesus. When he makes this possible and at the same time gives you a glimpse of the true wonder of Jesus, it's impossible to resist his call. The power of God for salvation. Reading Romans 1 through 9, and God opened the eyes of his heart. Monsieur Day Church, I want us to stand on Scripture alone. I want us to be rooted so deeply on this that we can't help but do anything else but look to Scripture. When a brother or sister needs advice or they, they need help or they got some questions, we say, what does Scripture say? When a brother or sister need to be corrected, we correct them gently but firmly with the word of God. As we disciple the children around us, our own and others, what do we do? We disciple them with the word of God. And when we need encouragement, because all hell is breaking loose, we are reminded that God has given us everything that we need. In his word. Amen.